Welcome to the Broken Pie Chart Podcast, episode 153. I'm your host, Eric Moore, and this week, we're going to be talking a little bit about the indexes and valuation, and there's some quirks in how the Russell 2000 does its valuation, or should I say the P-E ratio, compared to the S&P. And I'll also explore, you know, back in 2009, Professor Jeremy Siegel had written a, an article that said the S&P gets its earnings wrong. So I'll, I'll kind of dig into that again, because someone had sent me a, a note this week about how the Russell 2000, their P.E. was lower than uh, the S&P. And there's actually a little nuance to that. So we'll get into that um, and help you with those things. And also a little bit of an update on the market. Obviously, this week, uh, you know, year to date now. Let's see. As of uh, Friday's close, which was the 27th, the, the markets were down a about 9% now for the year. Uh, they were down as, as bad as 10, 10%. That's the S&P. The NASDAQ is down a little bit more. Um, interesting thing, though, I was just looking back uh, at a chart from JP Morgan on their guide to the markets and just looking at some of the intra-year declines versus the annual returns. And last couple of years, we've had 27% plus 16% plus 29%. You have to go back to 2018 where we had a negative 6% return. And I think this is, uh, let's see, does not include dividends. So the total return would be better than that uh, as the same way that last year's 27% is higher when you look at a total return basis. But what's interesting is, you know, you look at this year, so we had a negative 10%. And it's been some time since we even had a, a retracement of 5% or more. 2021 was sort of an odd year in, in that regard. But then you look and you say, okay, we were up 27% last year. Intra-year, we got down minus 5%. The year before, of course, was 2020. We had the, uh, uh, the government shutdowns, uh, GDP growth cratered. But we reached negative 34% on a price basis, not a total return basis. So if you're listening to this and you're thinking, wait a second, I, I don't, I think your numbers are off. It does not include dividends. So down 34%, wind up 16% up. Uh, 20, or sorry, 2019, down 7%, wound up 29%. And 2018, we were down 20%. Remember that? It was the uh, towards the end of the year. I think the worst day was actually Christmas Eve, and the market started to uh, uh, to make its way back up from there. But a decline of 20% wound up negative six. And I even go back to 1987. Marco's down minus 34 at one point, which is really interesting because that's exactly where it stopped in 2020. And it's actually where it stopped in, oh, I got to think of the year, 2000 to the, probably 2002, it actually stopped. There's something about that 34%, although we did go down 49% on the S&P in 2008, uh, of course. My point of, of sharing this with you is that if you look, there is 
volatility every year. Some years are more volatile, other years aren't. And if you look at the intra-year declines and then what the market winds up at, the market tends to not be, not pin itself to the number. I mean, 2008 was probably the closest, minus 38% versus minus 49% at the worst. But you're going to have volatility. And this, again, is why I continue to, to talk about just being invested in the market. Uh, Jay Pestercelli and I did that podcast, if I remember which one it was. I'll post it in the show notes. Where just missing the two best days of the year over a 20-year period, uh, hypothetically, of course, right? You know, not, not real, real returns. But hypothetically, your annualized return, I think we said, would go down from like 8% compounded growth rate down to under 2%, just missing the two best days of the year. So this is why, again, the idea of being invested with being hedged, having a floor in portfolios, because imagine if you panic and you get out every time the market is down quite a bit. Uh, as Jay likes to say, have you ever made a good decision when you were panicked? But we'll see what happens. Uh, we, I know it sounds weird, and I say it again and again. We don't know what the market's going to do. All we do is we get invested and we manage the risk. The risk is what you can try and manage. Uh, the rest is, uh, you know, as they say. Uh, anyway, if you, by the way, if, if you want more information on that, uh, make sure and email me. And by the way, I, I do enjoy the emails and uh, a lot of these these topics that I cover. Uh, before we get into things, I'll just give it to you again. It's Derek.Moore at ZegaFinancial.com. That's D-E-R-E-K dot M-O-O-R-E at Z as in Zebra, E as in Eddie, G as in George, A as in Apple, Financial.com. Financial is uh, up to you to spell correctly. Okay. So the question this week came about from someone who would, who would I don't know if they read a research piece or uh, where they got it. And they kind of said, well, small caps are really cheap right now. And they're, and, and by the way, I mean, uh, after the, the declines this week, the S&P on a forward-looking basis, remember, forward PEs are looking at the value of the, uh, the index over the analyst projected earnings over the next 12 months. And so we were... We were sort of, uh, you know, higher, right? Um, you know, just kind of looking back on things. The PE got up, uh, you know, I think around 23 or so, the forward PE. And it's come down. It's now 19.19. So the S&P is trading at 19.19 times next year's uh, forward earnings. But the question that came about was this idea of, of small caps being small caps being really cheap. And look, I, I, that, that may be the case. It may not be the case. You know, I don't try and pick indexes or, or markets. Um, and the link that they sent me was from the iShares Russell 2000 ETF, symbol IWM. And their PE ratio as of January 27, 2022 was 17.61. So the PE ratio, that's going to be uh, going back, you know, four, uh, four quarters. But one of the, the nuances of how the PE is calculated, 
and if you know, I'll put the link to the actually, yeah, I'll put the link to it if I remember. Uh, the price to earnings ratio, you can there's a little I for information, and if you go there, it says the price to earnings PE ratio is a you know, tells you what it is. Um, and it said negative PE ratios are excluded from this calculation. Negative PE ratios are excluded from this calculation. So what does that mean exactly? Um, well, Cybless Research, I'll put a link to them as well. They calculated uh, as of the end of December, so it's December 31st, 2021. So uh, roughly, you know, well, it's not roughly, it's 28 days ago. They had the PE of 94.98. And in their explanation, uh, when the price to earnings ratio is calculated, also negative earnings have been taken into account. So what, what you're seeing here is a little nuance. And if companies have negative earnings, they actually do not use those in the computation of the PE ratio for the Russell 2000. They do use it in other indexes. I, I know the S&P does. Um, I'm assuming, although I didn't check, I, I believe the NDX 100, NASDAQ 100, they, um, if a company loses money, that's, that's included. And so when you look at, I, I don't want to call it a true PE ratio. Um, and, and to be, I mean, to be fair, Russell on their site, uh, or the iShares ETF, I mean, they, they disclose it right on there, but if you're just looking and you say, well, that has a 17 PE and, and the S&P has, uh, you know, I said the forward PE, 19.2, but I think trailing was more like 23, 24. And you look at the, you know, those two, it seems like, oh, one is much cheaper on a PE or evaluation basis. Again, I'm not, I'm not saying one is cheap, one is not. But um, when you look at the PE ratio, so 94.98, uh, June of 21, it was negative, meaning the index aggregated all of the uh, the income data from every company in that Russell 2000. They they had negative earnings, um, and then you go back, you know, I don't know, end of so 2018, the PE was 40.17. So again, I'm not saying one is cheap, one is expensive. Don't. Don't buy or sell anything based upon what I'm telling you here. I just want you to be aware that the methodology on those indexes are a little bit different. Now, this brings me back also to, I remember there was, a, and I pulled the article. Uh, I'll see if I can link to it. This is February 25th of 2009. So hard to believe that's, uh, what is that, 20, that's like 23 years ago. Really? No, was it? No, no, no. I'm, I'm, I'm adding too many days. 2010, 12, it's 13 years ago. All right. So the title of the article is S&P Gets Its Earnings Wrong. And what Siegel said was, and his argument was, so, so back then um, he wrote the book Stocks for the Long Run. He's written a couple different editions. And people have accused him of being permanently bullish. Like, it doesn't matter what's going on. He, he likes stocks. And in his book, he makes the case, and he goes back many, many years, that stocks for the long run have a much higher compounded real, uh, a real compounded, so after adjusted for inflation, compounded growth rate 
than anything else like bonds, gold, U.S. dollar, which of course has lost purchasing power year after year due to inflation. But his what he says was, um, and I'll quote here. Let me let me just not read too much of this. Uh, the bizarre way in which S and P and most other index providers calculate aggregate earnings and PE PE ratios for their indexes. Unlike their calculation of returns, S&P adds together dollar for dollar the large losses of a few firms to the profits of healthy firms without any regard to market weight of the firm in the S&P 500. If they instead weight each firm's earnings by its relative market weight, identical to how they calculate returns on the S&P 500, the earnings picture becomes far brighter. So basically what he's, what he's getting at is indexes are market-weighted index. So the Dow Jones actually weights their companies based on price, which is some people have said that, you know, maybe they should rethink that because uh, if a company splits its, its stock two for one and its price gets halved, just doing that causes a change to the, uh, the weighting in the index. But for example, Apple is the highest weighted stock in the S&P 500. And so if that goes up or down versus a stock that is a really tiny weight, that's going to have a much bigger impact on the price of the index. And in Siegel's article, he uses Exxon. Oh, that's interesting. Exxon was the, the highest rated stock back then. Highest weighted stock, not rated, weighted. And his point was, he says, hey, let's look at Exxon and let's look at Jones Apparel. That's the, that was the smallest stock in the S&P 500 index. I don't know what Jones Apparel does, but... Uh, back in 2009. And he said, if, if you used, I mean, essentially what he's saying is if they did the price changes the same as earnings, everyone would have the same weight. So he said, hey, if ExxonMobil rose 10% in price and the small stock Jones Apparel fell 10%, would the S&P report the, S, uh, the S&P 500 was unchanged? No. Uh, back then, it Exxon had a market weight of over 5%, while the weight of Jones Apparel was less than 0.04%. So the, the point he's trying to make is that when you have, and, and, this, and this happens when you have really bad years, because a lot of companies write off stuff. It's, it's a chance to, hey, that project that we did, and I'll just write it down on the accounting side, and I'll, or I'll take a charge. So you, you saw that a lot with, um, you know, back in 2008, 2009. I actually expected to see more of that in 2020. But it's kind of like, and I say this sarcastically, but if a CEO wants to put out a bunch of bad news, like a bad market gives them an excuse to do that, an opportunity where in a really good market, you know, they don't want to mess up the earnings. Anyway, so what he's saying is that, hey, you know, if you have a, a bunch of companies that, maybe lost some money and but they're not weighted as high as the other stocks they sort of can mess up the the earnings i don't know i mean there, there's people who have um and there were a bunch of articles at the time who were kind of saying well that doesn't really make any sense just just to kind of give you a different view on this at the end of 2021 the market cap 
on the S&P 500 was about 42.4 trillion. So the market cap meaning the price times all of the shares of every company that's in the S&P 500. And that's the market cap. But we know that the index, when you look at the S&P 500, you know, the other day it was around, you know, it was 4,300 or so. Um, and 4,300 is not, you shouldn't take that because it, you're like, oh, 42.4 trillion or 42.5. Did they round it? Did they not? No, no. Um, so the, the index value isn't like, oh, 42 trillion, 400 billion and change. They actually use a, a divisor and they weight all the companies based upon market cap. So Apple has a higher weighting in the index than other companies. And they, they use this index divisor to, uh, uh, to keep the index. And they use the index divisor because if a stock splits or another company comes in, they try and really keep more of a smooth, um, they don't want jagged things to happen to the, uh, to the index value. And also it goes back to when it was created. Uh, but anyway, so back to this. So $42.4 trillion is the S&P market cap. And their earnings were roughly around, I don't know, I think I estimated this, about $1.8 trillion. Now, uh, you, you probably see when there's earnings estimates, they always do a per share basis on the S&P. And that gets a, a little bit complicated. I mean, yeah, you, you could kind of say, I could take the, the market cap divided by the earnings, or I could take... You know, the earnings are the aggregate earnings of all the companies, all the companies, what they make, what they lose, sum them all up together. And, but the divisor does come into play with the, the earnings per share. So I'll, I'll it's, it's not podcast worthy. It's, uh, <laughs> I'd, I'd have to use, uh, uh, you know, I'd have to write this up. But my point of saying this is that the S&P 500 uses every company's earnings, whether they're positive or negative, and that's what they use. And so their PE ratio is based upon those numbers. And of course, you know, the per share base, as I said, that divisor comes in there. And as of the end of the year, the PE was about 23, the trailing PE. Um, they don't, on the S&P site, I don't think they, they update the, the forward PE, but we know from the JP Morgan data, it's about 19.2. Uh, so, all right. So what does this uh, tell us? Well, maybe nothing. Maybe maybe now, next time, you know, you see someone saying, um, hey, I mean, I think such and such is really overvalued, undervalued. Now you know the difference in those two ind indexes. All right. Fewer things worth noting. And we've been talking about inflation and the idea of it's, it's been a supply side issue. We've talked about the, the backup at the ports, things like that. Um, there was uh, an interesting, you know, kind of flies under the, the radar, uh, but it has to deal with inventory. So the, the change in private inventories and, uh, you know, so this isn't adjusted for inflation. It was sort of the highest change uh, going back to 1950. Again, not, adjust, not adjusted for inflation. Seasonally adjusted, 
but not adjusted for inflation. Uh, Q2 of 2020, the lockdown quarter, uh, that was actually the lowest one. Uh, but it, it just was of note because we've been uh, we've been saying that uh, you know one of the things that's been challenging is and and one of the the benefits is the idea that corporations or companies or stores need to reload their inventory. Inventory levels were, were very, very low. And so I thought that was interesting that uh, Q4, and I'm not sure how that was spread out over the months, saw a pretty big rise in, uh, uh, in a change in inventory levels. And if you adjust it for inflation, we actually were higher back in Q1 of 2015. Uh, but this was certainly a, a pretty big jump in inventories. And that was one of the reasons why GDP, which was the, the first advanced estimate of Q4 GDP, uh, one of the reasons why that was so high was because of the change in inventories. I think I saw something that close to, what was it, 6, 7, I think, was the, uh, uh, the bead on GDP. But uh, this jump in inventories accounted for almost 5% of that. Now, some people might look at that and say, well, you know, that, that's, oh, you know, if, if that goes away. But remember, that is, you know, they would contribute something as long as it was positive. Uh, they contribute negatively to GDP growth if it's, uh, if it's negative. But I just thought that was uh, an off-the-radar thing, and I know we've been talking about the inventory levels. And I would just uh, comment that this is one of those things I just thought was interesting, and it's, uh, it's one to watch as we go through this supply chain issue, and as we've said, we, we think uh, with the upcoming Federal Reserve actions, we're not convinced that raising rates is going to ease uh, you know, inflation because it is, uh, in my opinion, more of a, a supply side issue. Um, and by the way, inventories, uh, those can be any number of things along the sort of the, the the supply chain. They could be finished goods, works in progress. And I'm reading right off the uh, uh, the government site, materials and supplies inventory. So this is one I'll be watching. It's one of many. And uh, so I thought I would share that with you. Well, I think that's uh, that's going to be it for now. Like, like I always say, rather than rating, starring, reviewing. If, hey, if you want to rate and star and review and do all that stuff, please do that. Only five stars, though. Don't leave like one star. Those are no good. Uh, also, send uh, emails, Derek.more at zegafinancial.com. And as I say, uh, it's Derek, D-E-R-E-K dot M-O-O-R-E at Zega, Z-E-G-A, C as in Zebra, E as in Eddie, G as in George, A as in Apple, financial.com. Financial's up to you. Uh, and the offer still stands. If we get a, an actual listener from Gibraltar, I will send a signed book out, but it's got to be a Gibraltian address. Why Gibraltar? I don't know. It's on, it's on a country that uh, we don't seem to uh, have had a listener in yet, but there's still hope. All right, folks, we'll talk to you next week. Take care. Take care.